Hey folks, Chewing the Fat is back for Season 2, where the Yale Sustainable Food Program's podcast that looks at people making change in the complex world of food and agriculture. School is back in session, and that means our speaker series is too. From food writers to kelp farmers, we've got an incredible lineup for you this season. Naturally, kicking us off are podcasters themselves, Cynthia Graber and Nicola Twilley, co-hosts of Gastropod. Gastropod is an award-winning podcast that looks at food through the lens of science and history. The podcast has covered so much in its 13 seasons. While Cynthia and Nikki were on campus, an episode of theirs tied into everything they saw, pawpaws on the Yale farm, English pudding recipes, and old cookbooks. We were even asked to give audio for their latest piece on tiki. An audience of devoted listeners welcomed Cynthia and Nikki later that evening for a live event recording. Ever been curious about how gastropod episodes are written? Or how science and history are balanced in their storytelling? Well, listen in as Cynthia and Nikki chat with Yale English professor Barbara Stewart. Both celebrated Gastropod's fifth anniversary. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. It's a hundred and podcast years. Yeah, we're really old. <laughs> I don't know if we look good for five or good for a hundred. I think we're very mature I for think, five, totally. to be honest. And unlined for a hundred. Can you talk about what you've learned over the years uh, doing these podcasts and um, what have been some of the surprises along the way? <laughs> uh, was the surprise how much work it is? Can I, can <laughs> yeah, you want to go start here? I was the idiot who had never done any audio journalism before, and yeah. Cynthia was like, I want to start this podcast, and I was like, well, you need a co-host, and sort of forced my way into it. I thought it was a great idea, I did. Thinking it would be this little side project that was super fun, and I was like, we'll make something that's a bit like Radiolab, but it'll take us about, you know, a couple hours a week. And, <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, okay, well, you know, anytime, I, I am totally down with that. All of that sounds like a great idea. I love all, you know, we, we kept on brainstorming. Do you have any idea how much time this is going to take? I had no idea how to do anything. It was ridiculous. The, you know, even the scripting for it, Cynthia would follow me along putting a period in every, because I was used to print journalism, and even as a print journalist, my sentences are too long. And for radio, <laughs> I literally did. I would chase after her on the page and put uh, like periods and say, that has to be three different sentences. That is way too long. So it's just and like I going after. I had no idea how to tape myself. We were recording in um, the summer. In I lived in New York City at the time under a duvet with the air conditioning off. We weren't I, together under the duvet. We were in two different separate, cities. Separate duvets. Separate duvets. <laughs> separate duvets. But I would just like crawl out of the room after two hours, like soaking wet, just being. Like we're now in closets. We've we've moved up. We've in upgraded. The world. We've upgraded. Yeah. Anyway, so I've learned a lot of things. <laughs> Is that what you had intended, or was there other? Uh... No, you must have learned some things, Cynthia. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, so I think one of the great things about making this show is that, especially five years on, so many of the themes we keep kind of coming back to and looking at them in slightly different ways. This, the episode is a totally new episode, but then it'll relate to something we covered last month or last year, and we'll say, well, you know, we're, can I give them a sneak preview for next week's episode? So we have an episode coming out. As long as you out. promise not to tell anyone. <laughs> um, we have an episode coming out next week about tiki. Uh, both the cocktails and the history and the kind of very complicated history about it, but also it's fun. Um, and what, you know, in this episode, we say, well, you know, if you listened to our episode about cocktails, 
such and such. And we do a lot of things about microbial science and we can refer back to other stories we've done. And I think I just love seeing how, you know, everything is new. Each time we get into a new topic, I learn something new. So I learn something new every day. But I think seeing how it all ends up tying together has been really gratifying. Okay, I have to ask this because it's really amazing to me the, the breadth of, of these podcasts. Where do you ever get your ideas? <laughs> uh, oh, I mean, so we get our ideas from every. So we get our ideas from listeners. So you're always welcome to write in. Listeners we keep write in, in with really good ideas. They we do. have a very long list. We do, and we go back to it sometimes, and then we sometimes ask them to record themselves. Uh, we get our ideas. There's a book that's coming out. Maybe it's a great episode on its own. Maybe it sparks an idea for us, and we take that. We interview that author, and we move on and do something else. Maybe we're going to be in. New Haven, okay, well, there's this topic we've wanted to do for a long time, and you know there's an expert there, so we're going to grab that while we're in town and then wait on it and do it later. Um, yeah, we have a lot Maybe of... Maybe there's a person we've yeah. always wanted to interview, and so we build an episode around them. We're like, oh, we can take this angle and sort of craft a story. I mean, our most recent episode about CRISPR, I had been told that story about CRISPR and, and yogurt, um, like before we even start, before we even knew each other, I want to, no, we no, knew each we other. we were already working yeah, yeah. on the show. But, it wasn't that long ago. But, uh, but we hadn't, we knew we wanted to do, do another story to go with it about how CRISPR was being used in the future, and it was then finding the other story and partnering. So it's, the ideas kind of float around, and then sometimes it's just something we're curious about yeah. and want to, um, like, you, uh, Cynthia was like, I want to do an episode about why we eat the animals we do. And uh, we were both thinking completely different things. I was like, oh, well, we have to talk about domestication. And you were thinking more about, like, you were coming from different, like, sort of some of the disgust yeah, exactly. uh, like, ideas <clears throat> and things like that. And so we put an episode together. Yeah. That brought, and the nice thing is that, you know, she's like immediately, okay, domestication, and I'm thinking, how do we decide what's disgusting and not, and what kind of culturally we're okay with eating, and, and then together that really ends up making a really rich episode. Would we have come to that on our own if we were off doing this? Maybe, but it's that much richer more quickly to be kind of brainstorming together about these topics. So when you do the podcast, since they're about food, what is it like doing something on air about, that has to do with taste? and smell how do you how do you do that we don't yeah I mean we try and describe things we're a lot of it is I mean we're not such a culinary podcast so we're not a culinary podcast. I mean yeah so I mean, we're <laughs> so people who are really like this is about restaurants and or baking or whatever like I think they have maybe uh, um, have to focus on that a little bit more. But we do taste things in mm -hmm. episodes. We, you know, you can't eat on air without a, a, a group of people writing in about how revolting that is and why are we not respecting their misophonia. And, and the the only reply is that we are so sorry, but like they are listening to a food podcast. Um, <laughs> we could put a trigger warning on top, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, but, we are a food podcast. But it's a food we are podcast. a food podcast. <laughs> like, yeah. um, but so I think, you know, we, you try and use some sounds, you try and use some descriptions. Um, when we did our vegan cheese episode, we, <laughs> we often have people who are not us taste 
things too to try and give a wider array of responses. And they frequently don't like it very they much. They frequently don't My like it. My partner those Tim things. always says I feed him really horrible food. I do also feed him really good food, yeah. even on the show. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's an interesting question, but also, you know, how could, how does food writing convey these things? And how food does food TV. television convey yeah. these things? I mean, it, to me, it, um, I'm not the first person to say this, but audio is an incredibly visual medium, incredibly visual. Anybody, almost anyone who listens, as you're listening, there's, there are images that are created in your head, and there's no reason that those sensory ideas are not also created in your head as you're listening. Um, it, it, tasting something isn't the only way to kind of experience right. food, certainly. Right. And I, I would much rather listen to a podcast than watch food TV. I, I find listening to it much richer. Hmm. Do you see the, your podcast as some sort of, well, yours is, does so much. I mean, as a, as a complement to food television? I feel like it's in a different world. I mean, I, I, the only food TV I really watch is Great British Bake Off, because how can you not <laughs> love Great British Bake Off? It's the greatest yeah. thing ever. Obviously, Nikki is British, watch, was watching it before I was. Um, no. One of my best friends from high school was responsible for the famous squirrel nuts in season one. Anyone, it for any of you who If you do not know the, the story of the squirrel testicles, you can Google it. Was, yes. When she says squirrel nuts, that's the kind of nuts yeah. she means. Um, <laughs> Not I was, I was trying to I know, give it. I know. I, just, I feel like <laughs> so that when they on. googled it, they'd be like. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think I think there's the food TV is very either the competitive stuff or um, kind of the food porn type thing. That's the word. I don't I don't really have another word for it. But this very sensual, the visual. I mean, my favorite like good example of it is um, Samin Nosrat's uh, Netflix. Oh, yeah. But real, it's gorgeous, and she's wonderful, and she's funny and personable. But we're doing something really different. I mean, there's a lot of I. I watch a lot of. Um, I use my VPN to watch a lot of uh, weird, like Channel Four documentaries of like how all the frozen pizzas consumed in the UK get made and things like that. And so I feel we're more like, like that. We're more like those yeah, things. I, I really I love me a good frozen pizza <laughs> documentary. <laughs> so, that I would be into. And I, I do get jealous of what they're able to do because seeing, you know, the pizzas being kind of like how the pepperoni gets kind of fired onto the pizza and, you know, and then kind of goes through a thing. So any misplaced pepperoni gets sort of scraped off and then there's a like... Yeah, there's a whole sorting mechanism, so ones that don't have an adequate coverage of pepperoni get shunted off to the side. I like watching that. Or I could watch uh, Kit Kats get covered in chocolate mm -hmm. like till the end of time. So I do, I am jealous that we can't do those kinds of things, but... But we do it with sound. We, yeah, yeah, we do. We, we go to yeah. these places. We, we get we, to see it. <laughs> we get to see it. We get the sounds of it, and we create those pictures for you in your head. And hopefully while you're out, you know walking a dog or you know taking the subway or driving somewhere or cooking dinner that you also are imagining yourself in those spaces with us. So when you create a podcast, what sorts of things are you trying to pay attention to? Because your you your podcasts just cover everything and end up in these really unusual places that make it fascinating. Like I would I would never listen to a show about the CRISPR 
engineering, but yours was really interesting. So <laughs> how do you how do you put the podcast together? You know, you've got two people putting ideas together. How does that happen? I mean, we both yeah. really like the the kind of things that you would the little snippets that you would go and tell someone about afterwards. That's what we're both drawn to. And I feel like we test them out during our reporting process. I'm always like if if you know me, I would, I'll come to your house and, and tell you whatever is interesting, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Um, and so, you know, we're testing out these little snippets during our reporting process. And you, you, we, we both like those things, so they all just go in. Yeah, and I think what we also are both really good at is being able to back away and figure out what the story is that we're telling. I mean, I think that there's a classic... I don't want to call it classic. There's a kind of a movement in certain parts of journalism right now that a narrative means <clears throat> a person did something and something changed. <clears throat> That's kind of this classic, it's a very classic narrative structure that really focuses on a person. And there's lots of really wonderful examples of that, and I don't have a problem with that, but I think I really like narratives, the kind that we build, where you take a story or an idea and you look at it from a lot of different places, but you know where you're going. And there may be a few different like ramps that you go off and then you come back and you go off a different ramp and then you come back, but there's an idea that you're going through and you're going from A to B to C and then you know where you're getting towards. And we, we always, we come to a narrative conclusion. And I think that's actually something that's very important to both of us. We're not just having this kind of loosey-goosey kind of conversation about it and yeah, that was really cool, thanks for joining us. Those also have their place, but, but we think very carefully, we write we, an outline, we think about where we're going next, we think about the transitions, we think about the points that each part of the episode is telling, and then we get to a place at the end. It's so like a it's good, important. It's like a good tour. You're getting a yeah. different perspective on the thing at each stop on the tour, but you're also on a tour that is going somewhere, yeah. you know? So when you start building an episode or you start doing the interviews and, and talking to people and doing all that research that you do, do you know where it's going when you start? No, no. I mean, we, we start with, uh, you know, we said we start with all these different ideas and, and then we say, okay, well, this is a really interesting aspect of it. And oh, but we haven't thought about, we, we do lots and lots of research. Often we go off and we kind of do all the research possible. We come back, we start talking about what we found and what we thought was interesting and what are the voices we need to fill those, those things that we think are interesting. Then we really wanna, it's very important to us to balance the diversity of voices on the show. So sometimes we start from that point. We want to reach out to underrepresented communities and, and kind of find interesting people doing things. But, you know, or if, but if we start with the topic, then we'll say, okay, well, we don't want all 60-year-old white men on the show. So let's see, you know, who are the different people talking about this? Then we'll go and like find examples of them speaking. Um, and then, but we don't necessarily know where it's going until we've done all the reporting. Definitely, I changed my mind during the episodes too. I mean, Tiki yeah. is a great example of yeah. that, where I actually started out being like, "Oh, come on, it's it's you know, it's it's it's." These are arguments we're having. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like fun, like this whole sort of narrative around cultural cultural appropriation is like uh, like a little overdone. And actually, you know, then we interviewed a native. We're just giving away the episode. You still will listen, listen to it, listen okay? To it. It's still fun. Um, uh, to a native Hawaiian uh, uh, person who was talking to, 
to us about what it seemed like from his perspective. And I was like, you know what? Uh, it was, it's not like I think, you know, it's not like a Confederate statue where I want to take it down, but I also saw his points a lot more clearly. Um, I think there's a nice middle ground. There's that, a that, yeah. You'll there's see in the there's show. a lot there's more a, nuance. There's you a, end there's up, a lot of nuance. You, if you if you do a lot of reporting and you don't end up with a more nuanced perspective, you're really doing it wrong. So. Yeah. You're you're reporting. I mean, as you're pointing out, you just pointed out, you you strike a really good balance um, with with the people that you interview with. Uh, the science and the history and the food, it's, it, it works together really well. How do you strike that balance? Because you've collected so much information. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have to let it go in these we very do. sad moments. <laughs> I feel like I'm always the harsh one that's right. like, no, we don't have time for that. <laughs> I, I'm often like, let me write it, and then you can cut it later. And, so, and I often am usually like, okay, you can write it, but like, that's totally going to come and out. Sometimes it stays. <laughs> sometimes it does. Sometimes you're right and I'm wrong. <laughs> but we often do go too long and have to cut it back. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it, uh, we... I can talk about it from a global scale. We think very carefully about the balance of big picture topics. If we did an episode on CRISPR, we are not going to follow that with an episode on soil carbon. Um, we, we are deliberately following that with an episode on tiki. And obviously, tiki isn't all like light and fluffy happiness. There's a lot of depth to it, but too. But it's not hardcore science. But it's science. not like, OK, I'm wrapping my head around you know, DNA editing. Um, we also want a balance of agriculture, kind of things that have more of an environmental bent, things that, that might be just kind of pure history, things that are like a food, but within the episodes. I mean, I depends. think we just try to think about what questions might you have in your mind when you reach this point? Yeah. Who would be able to shed light on that question in an interesting way? Um, it just, I mean, we, you know, process-wise, we try to think about that before we do the reporting, but then we think a lot about that as we, you know, we have a, we have all our transcripts, we go through them, we do something we call cut, it's often called cut and keep, we just sort of highlight the parts that we think are interesting, then we talk about how they might fit together in a structure. That's often where you realize there's some missing chunks um, that aren't, you know, that you that there's a big hole that you need to fix, or or you discover we in writing our CRISPR one, one of our um, our main yogurt guy made a comment that we noticed in the moment, and we even noticed it in the transcript, and we were like, oh, this is nice, and you know, when he was talking about all the wonderful things about CRISPR, and and he says, you know, when he had been imagining what it could do in the future, <laughs> and that it, and that it could, you know, because it had the potential to. Because it comes from an immunity. immunity, like the, the whole point is it's bacterial immunity. So he imagined it not as an editing tool, but as an immunity tool. And he said, and you know, such and such, and HIV, and how great it is. Even though, and then, and then we we're like, wait a minute. He he sounds like he thinks that's happened. We should go see if it actually has been used in HIV. <laughs> and literally a month before, we're like, oh, yeah, it has. We need to <laughs> we need to include that. But we didn't really notice that until we were writing it. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, but it, I think the balance for us is... And we spent yeah. a lot of time as well trying to... Because you don't want to like tie it up with a nice bow at the end, but you want to leave people in a place right. that is... So, a place, right? Okay, well, just like a, a feeling, like you're some, you arrived somewhere. Right. Um, and so those are often the parts that we actually end up redoing in editing because we'll, we'll have our first draft, we'll record it, we'll listen to it, and we're like, no, 
we either need a beat longer or we are repeating ourselves or you know this you know thought isn't isn't there and needs to be there so that's where we often kind of and it's like the the we listen a lot like I always I listen to each I try to listen to each draft once while I'm doing something else like the way people might so can it hold my attention while I'm running can it hold my attention while I'm gardening whatever and then once in a you know focused way in front of the script where I'm actually kind of following along and seeing what happens because I both ways of listening are important you know all right so we assign papers here and there's a finite period of time to get it done oh we have that <laughs> all right I know I, mean, I know you have it but I, I <laughs> I see, I see all the information that's in an episode, and, and you're producing an episode every two weeks. How long do they take to produce? Like, I think we figured out like 80 hours an episode, but I think we just um, made that up. Yeah. Uh, we just tried to figure it out like forever. how much time. It takes a really, really long time. Right. Um, but you know, it's not like we finish up one episode and then we start working on the next episode. And also when I say 80 hours, First of all, it was probably under. Second of all, we're also doing all the other business things for the show. Um, but, you know, we have many... Just say my dream of a side hustle. <laughs> Sorry. Not as so we, much. <laughs> if, you, if you are a regular listener to this type of audio and you listen through the credits, then almost all shows that have our level of research, reporting, and production have about 7 to 13 people on staff. Um, so it's a lot of time. But we're really enjoying it, But we it love too. it. I mean, we love it. So, like, yeah, we wouldn't do it otherwise. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think we just have enough things going, and we try not to get to a point. We never, we very rarely get to a point where we don't know it's, which episode is coming on in two weeks. Now, we might not be at the point we need to be at, but we know what we we're doing. We make it work. We make it work. We make it work. Fairly. And often, it, it, I mean, it's, you know, we both, we both want it to be good. So but. I'll be like, oh... I think we need to interview, like, you can shoot me now, Cynthia, but I think we need to do this extra interview, and Cynthia will be like, well, I am going to shoot you. But, but I actually usually but, agree. <laughs> you know, we, we both, and we often kind of come to that together. Um, yeah. Like, I'll have thought it, but I didn't really want to articulate it or something. Uh, yeah. You know, like, I'm, do I really want to go down that path? <laughs> you don't want to go down that path, but then I'll say it, and uh, then we'll like, have yeah. to do it. Yeah. yeah. So. so, what do you think about, I mean, I said that I'd rather listen to your CRISPR piece that and, and your the strawberry one thank you because I have an essay that I assigned about strawberries and it's not nearly as good as your I mean it's I think the students thought it was really boring and so um, what do you think about science communication today how can um, in terms of journalism or podcasts what's conducive to good science communication well one thing I'll say is that we that we constantly make the the um, case to funders about this, but I think it's true, is like food is a great way into science, kind of come at it sideways. Someone who is, you know, interested in food and suddenly finds themselves learning about CRISPR and now it's, you know, you, would you have sat down and read the CRISPR article? Maybe not, but like it's in your yogurt. Let's, let's hear that story. So I think that's a, and it helps us bring it have a little more fun with it too I think it gives us a tool to you know we can be talking about microbial communication and you know but we're talking about cheese and yeah. so it's right. more fun yeah I think I mean I think for us food is such a great we both love covering science I mean it's it's 
fun for us. And it, we're digging into things that we have to wrap our brains around. I think one of my favorite things about going into science journalism, which I kind of started a couple decades ago, was I'd love to take these things that I didn't understand and then hopefully by the end understand them and then you know figure out the bigger picture and interview lots of people and then find a way to really make that um, accessible and, and interesting and compelling. But I think there's something really fun about food, about doing it in audio. I mean, I think that, that one thing I think is not as effective in science audio is kind of freeform interviews with scientists. You can have, I mean, obviously Science Friday is amazing, um, but Science Friday is very heavily produced and they're not like- They keep it tight. They keep it really tight. And I think there's other examples of, of podcasts that are just kind of very loose one interview, one scientist, very loose, and, and that's fine, but I think your audience is more limited because you uh, scientists often have a hard time putting themselves in the mind of what other people can or can't understand, and Nikki and I can always be the general audience to each other. We can ask each other questions. We can say, we can, po you know, we can kind of take a step back. We can say, I never realized this, but, you know, or yeah. like when we were surprised, we, can, we get to do that. You, numbers are hard. Numbers are really hard in audio. You can't do numbers very well in audio. But to be honest, my eyes glaze over when I read numbers in print too. So um, numbers, numbers are just hard. For, I can't remember my own phone number. So, um, but yeah, I think that's that's a way in which I mean, they're just different methods of communicating um, about science. And and I would in, instead of communicating, I would say reporting on science because I don't really think of it as science communication. I think of it as science journalism. Uh, but I think the combination of audio and food is just a wonderful kind of matchup. Have you seen the people close to you think or connect with food in ways like you two have? I definitely think so. I mean, I think that, well, I can say we hear stories from listeners more than maybe necessarily our individual friends. I don't know about yours, but I, mm -hmm. I know that listeners often write in, you know, especially with our fifth birthday, we ask people to tell us ways gastropod changed your life. Just out of curiosity, I didn't actually, you know, but people wrote in really wonderful things. Some were just as silly as I had, you know, I thought I hated mustard, but now you've made me realize it's the most delicious condiment ever. Um, I Some was afraid of- Some people have like given up their banking job and started kelp, kelp farms. farms. So. Some people are like, have started like, kombu kombucha <laughs> brewing in their basement. I mean, there's all sorts of really fun things. I do know, um, so my partner, Tim, grew up in New England. And for, I don't know if any of you here are from New England, but he's from a very kind of Irish, New England, white fish, white, white, white fish. And when I first started bringing salmon into our um, relationship, he was kind of like, I know, salmon, it's really, it's out there. Um, but he was like, I'm not sure about the salmon thing. Definitely lox was like, no way. Um, but he now is, he, he ordered lox recently and he, he even enjoys eating kind of more oily fish at home. Also, uh, his mother has Alzheimer's. And so, you know, we, we talked a lot about that in our Alzheimer's episode and just um, how, health, how important these types of fish can be, both if you eat fish from an environmental perspective and then also from a health perspective. And I try not to think about my food in terms of what Michael Pollan calls nutritionism, like that uh, this is gonna give me this. I, you know, I think about it really also in terms of balance and pleasure and ecology and all those things and, and supporting farmers. Um, but that's one case where I'm glad he's eating more of those types of fish, seeing what's in his family. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the fact that he ordered lox recently. That made me very happy. Yeah. I mean, say, I mean, yeah, but when I met my husband, he ate like five things and now he's, he will email me like particular 
heirloom varieties of rice that he thinks we should try. So I've, I've done they, something they, yeah. to him. <laughs> At least in our, in, our, in our homes, there's been some transformation. Yeah. What are three to five tips you would offer to a novice food writer hoping to become a journalist? Um, well, it depends what, for what, like what's the audience? Or, oh, okay. Three to five tips. <sighs> Go with your curiosity. Always. Um, do your research, mm -hmm. lots of it, uh, and... Tape and transcribe your interviews, even if you're a print journalist. Yes, tape and transcribe all your interviews. People's voices are just more interesting than how you take down their quotes. And you'll often get it wrong, even if you think you're writing it down correctly. And um, you'll often have missed the most interesting part anyway, just because you were busy thinking about the next question at that moment or whatever. And don't think only about the taste when you're talking about describing food if you want to actually describe what you're writing about. I mean, I think there's so much, taste is really complex. You'll definitely, that's something you describe, but there's so much more to it. People forget about texture and smell a lot. Yeah, People the forget about the sound it, it yep. makes as you, as you eat it. But as you cut into it or as you pick it from a tree or as you squeeze it or, you know. Um, there's so much more texturally going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think your curiosity and your research and your passion. And I also think there's often like a lot of fun to be had to, to say, um, to, to kind of sneak in another story in your food story. So yeah. that's what we always do. But like the economics of how avocado toast ended up being what it is. I mean, you can write about avocado toast, but you can also tell a different story that's about NAFTA or whatever, you know, and drug cartels and et cetera. And, and it just, you can, you can, you know, that's that's fun too. I also, I just think, to me, and this isn't true for everybody, but this is why we make gastropod. To me, food is so interesting. Not just for, I went out to this restaurant and I had this delicious dish, and you know, this particular, you know, I'd never tried this plum before, and it comes from a farm down the road. That's lovely, but there there are so many different ways to tell stories about cultures and people and the environment and history and economics and food is such a wonderful way to tell any of those that to me that's what food journalism is actually about it's about all these other really wonderful fascinating in-depth complicated topics and other species like oftentimes the food didn't evolve for us anyway so why is it the way it is well it's because it's that way because the now extinct animal ate it you know like she's still on avocados i'm still i'm still <laughs> i'm in an avocado space <laughs> you can take the girl out of california <laughs> what's your impression of podcasting in 2019 as opposed to in 2014 yeah so there are a lot of, a lot, of a lot of podcasts podcasts now <laughs> Um, but uh, more companies advertising on podcasts, that helps. So it's not just MailChimp anymore. Um, uh, I like that people totally know what you're talking yeah, about. <laughs> that's, that's a, a thing. Yep. Um, it's becoming, I mean, one of the things that we think is interesting is obviously we're an independent podcast and there are not very many independent podcasts and there are none basically that are at our scale. Um, and so it about journalism that we know of. There might that, be that like comedy this, or yeah, but that, that are, are doing, doing this do. kind of reported, kind of narrative journalism thing that we do. Um, and so that's interesting to us. And it's really it's sort of consolidated and turned into networks and 
become monetized in a different way. Um, and so that's interesting. And, and whether that's a, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about paywalls and walled gardens and, and are people, you know, there's startups like Luminary, which was, you know, you had to subscribe to Luminary, but then everything would be ad free within that. And, you know, we talked to all these people as they come along. We didn't want to go behind the Luminary paywall. It wasn't worth it for us. But maybe one day, like, it, you don't know what's going to happen to the podcasting landscape. Is it going to stay? And it's been, you know, I think a lot of people say it's been this sort of thing of benign neglect. Apple has just let sort of podcasting do its own thing and not really monetized it. And But as Spotify moves in and, you know, Pandora moves in and... Yeah, I'm not sure that it's... I'm not convinced it's actually changed that much in the past five years, except that there's just more and more people think that there's money and they're usually wrong. Um, so there are some examples of... It's because we took it all. I know, seriously, we got all the money. Um, there, are, there are a few organizations, there are some organizations that get big grants, but there are very few of them. There are some organizations that get big VC funding, very few of that. Right. Um, and I could, we could have a discussion and frankly, um, we have had this discussion just last week about whether that's a, a genuinely viable business strategy or if it only is one if you manage to get purchased. Um, so, Which is still a viable business Which is viable, strategy. but I just don't think it means it's viable for everybody. Uh, I think there's just, there's a lot more speculation. There's a lot more, everybody thinks they have to have a podcast. Everybody thinks they have to have a daily news podcast. And I just don't know. I think it's, it's just it's all still shaking out. And maybe there's enough listeners. Maybe there's enough listeners for all of it. Um, we certainly, in terms of saturation, I still think it's only about 20% of Americans who That's listen to podcasts at all. Are we up to 30? But mm -hmm. I don't know how many listen to podcasts regularly versus like once a month. So I, And I think once people start listening, you know, we don't think of, our, of Gimlet as competition necessarily for us. Uh, they own a lot of uh, podcasts and they were acquired by Spotify. Um, more as like, okay, well, you like us and maybe you like this other show and we come out once every two weeks. You have a lot of other time to listen to things. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's just, it's really unknown. The difference between then and now is just a lot has happened, but I don't know what it all means, and who knows what's going to happen in five years. And also, the, all, a lot of the things have come along that everyone was like, this is going to change everything, like smart speakers. Yeah. Smart nah. speakers didn't change everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, and when um, Apple started providing statistics on how many people skipped ads, everyone was like, oh, this is it. The podcast industry is going to crumble. No. And no. No. We were real. I was so nervous. I wouldn't look at. The, so she made me. Look I made her look. <laughs> so it wasn't the skipping apps part. Apple came out with two things. Uh, well, Apple changed some of their metrics, and then they were dropping this that was going to show you how long listeners, once they started listening, what percentage of them listened all the way through. Like, like at what point they, they dropped, dropped off, off right? Basically. And so basically, what percentage made it to 50%, what percentage made it to 80%. Oh, you could just look at the episode and see where they fell. Right. And so like, if you get to, if you get to like 90% of our episode, then basically you've already hit the post roll, you know, after the music comes up and I don't, well, it's nice if you listen, we have an ad at the end, but also we'll say what, we uh, what's no coming out. We kind of assume many of you are listening to our credits. In fact, we throw stuff in there deliberately just to, to see, like, you know. see if anyone's listening. <laughs> but I made her look because I was like, well, if, if we have, you know, our advertising revenue, we are, its main sources of income are advertising, important one, audience, 
very important one. We get a big percentage of our budget from listener, listener donations. donations. And now, and you know, sometimes it's speaking and live shows and those types of things, but also now we have grant support, which is really important. But this this huge chunk of advertising, and I was like, well, if, if all the listeners drop out at 40%, we are completely screwed. And I was like, I can't look, you look. Luckily, more than 90% of our listeners, once they start, listen basically all the way through. Thank heavens. I was so happy. I was really relieved. I don't know if that was true for everyone. Um, I think maybe that makes advertisers more... But um, I will say the advertising market didn't implode after right, that. Exactly. So I assume that, you know, like it, it, people were really worried that that was what was going to happen once. Because one of the things about podcasting is it is people do charge a higher... It's not like um, online where y you often ch charge a very low um, amount per impression, per eyeball. You charge a high amount per ear, yeah. ear hole. <laughs> so, because the idea is like people are listening and they can't skip voice. as easily and they can't, you know, yeah. they can't have an ad blocker as easily. And, and so. what they really want though, and what a lot of podcasts do and we won't, they want personal endorsements and we won't do that. We, um, we started out and I was just like, this is disgusting. No way. We did one it. and we're like, meh. Mm -mm. So we instead um, just sort of made an executive decision without telling our ad sales company that we were going to do something different. Oh, no. It, when we did the personal adjustment, it was before we were with Midroll. We made the decision before, before we went on with them. Yeah. yeah. We, um, but we, yeah, Nikki and I, and Nikki uh, does all of our wonderful, brilliant ads. Uh, it's my side hustle. It is. My side, <laughs> side hustle is our advertisements, <laughs> is that we would have some bit of weird science or history about the topic, not about the company, in the middle of the ad. And the ads are actually, sometimes Sometimes we write an episode that just got a little out of control. We don't know what's going on with it. She literally said to me recently, the episode got better by the end, but she said, after this lesson, the most interesting part of that episode was our ad. <laughs> But we, we fixed it. We did fix it. We we fixed it was it. better. Um, but you know, we we do this because we want to make sure we know that you already can fast forward through it, and soon you might just be able to skip it. And we want but you to listen to it. But who is going to want to miss out on some fascinating bra history? No one. I mean, really, so. it's totally interesting. So that's uh, things we try to do to keep up with the times. Yeah, I think I know more about underwear than I know about food at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Third love. Oh, but <laughs> we've been doing those ads for a long time. That's my, that's a lot of bra extent history. Of my personal really endorsement. <laughs> well, we're uh, it's eight o'clock and oh wow, so this time was flew. so much fun. Hope it wasn't boring for you guys. Thank you. Talk so much. <laughs> Thank you. From the Yale Sustainable Food Program, this has been Chewing the Fat. To follow Cynthia and Nikki's work. Subscribe to Gastropod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by myself, Thomas Hagen, Amy Zhang, Lin Nguyen, and Alexis Stanger. Mixing by Ryan McAvoy of the Yale Broadcast Studio. Music by Eddie Joe Antonio and Louis De Felice. Artwork by Logan Howard. Program support by Jacqueline Munno, Noah Macy, Jeremy Oldfield, and Mark Bomford. Special thanks to Barbara Stewart, the Yale Program in the History of Science and Medicine, and the Pointer Fellowship in Journalism for supporting Cynthia and Nikki's visit. We grow with support from listeners like you. Write us at sustainablefood at yale.edu. And if you enjoyed this episode, help us out by subscribing, rating, and sharing with your friends. See you in two weeks.